you. He says, uh, he wrote this in 1957. He said, darkness cannot drive out darkness. Only light can do that. Hate cannot drive out hate. Only love can do that. Hate cannot drive out hate. Only love can do that. And um, I think that's true. I I think what Martin Luther King says there uh, is, uh, I think many people would agree with that statement. I think the Bible agrees with that statement. Um, But when we ask, what does that mean? Um, It gets a little bit more difficult. Uh, I I think if we're honest and we look at the events over the past month, uh, and if we look at uh, our own hearts, uh, we look at the conflict uh, in our own homes, in our own friendships, uh, we could all agree that, that, that a lack of love has caused this. And that all of these situations and that our, our country desperately needs more love. Uh, we do. And, and the Bible would say an amen to that. But, but even, e- even that language, saying something like we need more love can often feel pithy or vague, uh, even directionless. And, and, and so that's what we hope to do this summer by looking at 1 Corinthians 13 is to gain an idea um, of what it looks like to love. Because love uh, is exactly what we need. It's, it's what we always need. Uh, it's what our ministries always need. It's what the universities we're at always need. It's what our country desperately needs now. Um, and so uh, what we're hoping to do this summer as we look at 1 Corinthians 13 uh, is gain an idea of practically what does that look like. Um, and so tonight we're going to look at the first four verses. Uh, we're going to look at two things. We're going to look at the priority of love, and then we're going to look at Paul's first description of love. So let me pray for us real quick. Father, Thank you for your word. Lord, we need it desperately. Uh, Lord, we need it desperately to guide us. Uh, Lord, we need it desperately uh, to expose us and to convict us and to challenge us in the ways that we have failed to love. And God, we need you to give us a picture of the love of God in Christ Jesus. Lord, that gives even the most loving and most unlovely people hope, Lord, because you have loved us first. And so, Lord, we pray that that news uh, would transform our hearts and that it would push us into uh, a world that is hurting and desperately in need of love. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, the uh, restrictions in Kentucky are slowly being lifted uh, pretty slowly in, uh, as a result of everything that was put in place uh, because of coronavirus. Um, but we uh, still have a lot of time together as a family. We've had a lot of time together as a family over the past uh, three and a half months, which has meant some really fun times, uh, a lot of laughter, and it has meant uh, that there have been plenty of opportunities uh, for forgiveness. There's been moments of tension 
uh, lots of opportunities to say, I'm sorry. And uh, we have four children. And one of the things uh, we've started asking our kids to do is uh, when they have injured uh, a sibling or uh, said something mean, uh, we don't want them merely to say sorry. Uh, that is actually uh, oftentimes the easiest thing to do, and it can actually add to the person's pain. Uh, we, we want them to look the, their injured party in the eye and, and actually look at them and say, I'm sorry. Uh, we, we actually want them to be, we would love for them to be sorry. Uh, on one of our best days, we will see maybe evidence of true remorse in our children. Um, we, we want to see uh, true remorse and an actual apology. We don't always get to see that, but that, that's what we long uh, to see. Uh, we don't want them just to say sorry. We actually want them to be sorry. Uh, in, in the passage uh, we're reading, Paul is writing uh, to a church in Corinth, and in, in 1 Corinthians 12, he's just spent a whole chapter talking about all, all the different gifts he's given to people in the church. Uh, it's that famous chapter he talks about, you know, uh, e- each person in the church being uh, like a body part. Uh, we're all vital. We all have a role to play. We all need one another. Uh, and then right at the beginning of this chapter, uh, he's, he notices evidently a problem. Uh, even as he's talking about how the Lord has gifted different people, it's really easy for them uh, and for us uh, to be more concerned with uh, how our gifts are perceived uh, than we are with our own hearts. Uh, evidently, there were more people, there were people in his church, uh, as I'm sure you've seen in your own and in your own heart, uh, that were more concerned with looking good and looking impressive uh, than they were with actually loving Jesus and caring for their neighbor. Um, th- this is why Paul says at the beginning, he says, if I, if I speak in tongues, if I have prophetic powers, um, what, what, what he's referring to there too is, and there's a lot of debate over what he means specifically by tongues or prophetic powers, but essentially he's saying, if I can speak the language of heaven, if I have prophetic powers, not necessarily, we often think of prophecy as the ability to tell the future. Um, prophecy is essentially being God's mouthpiece. Uh, if I have the ability to speak eloquently, uh, if I have the ability to speak on God's behalf, but if I do not have love, I am a noisy gong, is what Paul says. I'm a noisy gong. Um, some of you maybe have heard a gong before. It's a monotone, loud drum sound. Uh, not impressive, not enjoyable to hear. And that's what Paul says we sound like when we speak without love. The best speech you've heard, the best sermon you've heard without love is like a noisy gong. And, and some of you have experienced this on a more personal level too. Think about criticism. Criticism that you've given. Criticism that you've received. Uh, think about how differently that lands when it is spoken in love. Two different people can say the exact same thing to you. Or someone can say the same thing to you, uh, but with a different tone on two different occasions, and it can land completely differently uh, because of whether or not you know they love and actually care for you or whether they're saying it 
to put you down or to feel better about themselves. Paul here is saying, I can speak well. Uh, he even said, he goes on to say, I can have amazing knowledge, uh, understand all mysteries and all knowledge. If I have all faith so as to remove mountains. Uh, what Paul there is saying, not literally that he can have a faith that can move mountains, but, but if, if he has a faith and he, and he can see God do the impossible in his life, so here's what he's saying. I can do all these things. I can experience all these things. I can have great knowledge. I can see amazing things happen in my life. I can see the seemingly impossible things happen. I can look like someone, is what he's saying. I can look like someone who is really knowledgeable. I can look like someone who is really faithful. I can look like someone in whose life the Lord is doing amazing things Yet all the while, he says, but if I have not love, I am nothing. I am nothing. Paul is saying something pretty astounding about what it means to be human. We're familiar with Rene Descartes, you know, I think, therefore I am. Paul is saying here that the essence of being a human, your calling, you may not know what God has called you to do, at IU, Mizzou, Louisville, UK. He has created you to love because he is a God who is love. And when we do all these things without love, Paul could have said a lot of things. He could have said, if you all do all these things and you don't love, then you're disobeying. Or if you do all these things and you don't love, then you're being unfaithful. But, but notice what he says, if I do all these things and have not love, I am nothing. I am nothing. Paul is saying something huge about what it means to be human and what it means to love and to follow Jesus. And then he goes on to say, if I give away all I have and if I deliver up my body to be burned but have not love, I gain nothing. I can do all these things that make it look like I'm selfless. But at the end of the day, I'm doing them for self-gain. We can look moral. We can look selfless. And all the while, it can be a charade. And so the, the question this passage begs us to ask is, what are the ways that you and I want to appear moral or appear impressive all the while our heart is actually far from God? What are the ways you are tempted to want people to notice you more than you are to actually love other people? What are the ways you're tempted to use other people rather than care for other people? Uh, for some of you, the temptation will, will be like those in the beginning. M maybe your specific temptation is that you want to be known as someone who's, who's knowledgeable of God, I can speak well, and who's eloquent, all the while not caring. Others of you may want to be seen uh, like he describes in verse 3, as someone who's really charitable, as, as someone who's known for giving up lots of things, all the while you care more about how you're perceived than you do care about the people whom you are giving to and the God in whose name you are giving. 
We can be more concerned with appearing to love Jesus than we are concerned with actually loving Jesus. You see, in all of these, what's the driving factor? We are far more concerned with how we appear. We're far more concerned with ourselves than others. And Paul notices this here. It's nothing new. I mean, God in 1 Samuel 16 says, he says, man looks on the outward appearance. God looks at the heart. Does God care about all those things that Paul just mentioned? Our speech and giving things away and what we know and our faith? Of, of course. Of course he cares about the gifts that he's given us. And of course he cares about how you use them. We're called to use them. That's why he includes the chapter right before this in 1 Corinthians 12. He's given us a whole chapter on the importance of, of what we do with the things God has given us. But we are so prone to make a bigger deal out of those gifts than we are the giver of those gifts. Where are you tempted to do that? Jesus does care about those gifts. Um, but he's far more concerned that you love others without love. If we can do all this without love, we are nothing, Paul says. So then how do we love? Uh, well, we're going to spend the rest of this summer looking at that, but we're going to look at the first two descriptions Paul gives of love tonight. And, and one thing to note, I'm sure this will be said again this summer, Paul uses 15 words to describe love in 1 Corinthians 13. Not a single one of them is an adjective. All of these words in the Greek are verbs. Uh, and, and you've probably heard it before. Love is not merely a feeling. It's not. It is an action. Uh, the way we think about love uh, is not merely an emotion, although it certainly involves that. Uh, but if we are going to think about what it looks like to faithfully love and think about love, uh, we have to think about how that shows up in our own lives, in our own actions. Um, starts off by saying love is patient. Love is patient. When Abraham Lincoln uh, was running for president in the 1860s, he was called by one of his rivals, Edward Stanton, a low cunning clown. He was called a gorilla by Edward Stanton. He was mocked openly by this man. And yet, when Abraham Lincoln was president, he had a lot of power. He could have ended that guy's career, no doubt, maybe worse. But what's interesting is that he made Edward Stanton his secretary of war. And people thought he was crazy. They said, have you not heard what this guy said about you? Uh, and Abraham Lincoln had the power to avenge the power to get back at him, and he did not. Uh, he had the opportunity, the resources to lay this guy down, to get back at him, and he chose not to. And that is what the Bible refers to as patience, having the ability to return fire and choosing not to. You see Jesus doing this on the cross. Jesus is being mocked openly. Oh, you're the king of the Jews. You can't even save yourself. And how does Jesus respond? Father, forgive them. He could have called down angels. 
he could have struck them dead with the same power that he raised people from the dead. And yet he cried out, Father, forgive them. There's many different aspects to patience, but love calls us to be patient. One of the ways that'll show up is by not responding, not taking down people when we have the opportunity to get revenge. It it, it will show up in how we approach suffering. Loving people is being patient with them in the midst of hardship. Uh, Loving people means being patient with them uh, when you see them struggling. And some of you may be more prone to be frustrated in this manner than others, but I know for some of you it's hard. Maybe you're at a church or you're in a friend group or you're at a ministry uh, where your thought is, hey, this is a Christian ministry or we're supposed to be a group of Christians. And, and I see this person over here and they are not acting in a manner worthy of the calling that God has called them to be. Uh, they're not acting in a mature way. And, and there may be a, a moment to speak the truth in love to them. The Bible talks about that. But notice what Paul says. This is, this is astounding. First Thessalonians 5.14, he says this. He says, And we urge you, brothers and sisters, warn those who are idle and disruptive. So, so yeah, people that are struggling with laziness, idleness, if they're being disruptive, Warn them, correct them, encourage the disheartened, help the weak. And he closes by saying, be patient with everyone. Everyone you meet this week, everyone you meet this coming semester, everyone you know is a work in progress. Uh, One day, someday, we will look fully and completely like Jesus. One day, God will finish the work that he has started in us. But that day is not today. That day will come when he comes. Paul says in Philippians that he will finish the work that he started in you at the day of Christ Jesus. And we can be confident in that. But until that day comes, we are a work in progress. God calls us to be patient. God calls us to be kind. Uh, There's a guy named David Garland who wrote a massive volume on 1 Corinthians, and I love how he describes kindness. He says, kindness recognizes that everyone carries a burden. Kindness recognizes that everyone carries a burden. Uh, There's that anonymous quote uh, that gets circled around uh, often. It says, be kind for everyone you know is fighting a battle that no one else knows about. Be kind for everyone you know is fighting an inner battle that no one else knows about. Love is patient and it is kind. And being kind is recognizing that the people in your circles and outside of your circles each carry a load. And so what that means, gosh, that that means... That has tremendous implications for all of our lives. But what it has to at least mean is that part of being kind means that we are going to listen. If we are going to know the burdens of other people, we have to listen. We have to listen to the people who are hurting. It's amazing. When you look at Jesus' ministry, 
Where is Jesus all throughout the Gospels? Sure, he does interact with some privileged people. But over and over again, you find him in the most desperate situations. You find him around the people who are hurting. You find him around the people who are mourning and desperate. And so what it means to follow Jesus in kindness, it means to follow him into the situations in this world that are desperate. That's what it looks like to be kind. And look, there's plenty of applications for that right now, but but I, I, I don't think there is a community in our country right now that is hurting more than the African-American community right now. We, we need to be those who are quick to listen. God has given us two ears and one mouth, as someone wisely once said. Uh, so if, if you want a simple, it's not, surely not the only application, but if you want a simple application of what it means to be kind, what might it look like for you to listen to the voices of those who are hurting? What might it look like for you to listen and read the voices of those who feel abandoned and who feel oppressed. Ephesians 4.32 Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. Our only hope in being kind and in being patient is knowing that Love is not merely a list of descriptions or a list of verbs. But when we read 1 Corinthians 13, our hope for being kind is knowing that love is not just a description or an action. It is a person. All of 1 Corinthians is a description of Jesus and Jesus' kindness and patience and his forbearance with you And so when you see your sin, when you see the ways you have failed to be patient, when you see the ways you are far more quick to condemn others than God is to condemn you, when you see your failure in showing kindness, how quick you are to assume the worst of others, how quick you are, how quick we are to long to be right rather than to love others. And when you see Jesus and his patience and his kindness on the cross for you and for me, for those of us who are not good at loving and not kind and not patient, when you see that he has died for the impatient, when he has died for the unkind, then you are free to repent. You're free to change. Romans 2, 4 says, don't you know the kindness, God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance. Praise the Lord. That sentence is not reversed. We do not earn God's kindness by the goodness of our repentance, but his kindness does free us and empower us to repent to change, to run to him and to acknowledge, Lord, I've been unkind, I've been impatient, to run to others and say, I'm sorry. I don't know your pain, but I, but I want to learn from you. I'm sorry for the ways I've ignored you. Help me love you. When you see God's kindness towards you, it frees us up to love and care for others. 
then and only then you can repent of the ways you have made it all about you. Praise the Lord, we have a God who is faithful and kind and just and a God that loves to see those characteristics embodied and worked out in and through his people. Let's pray to that end. Father, Lord, we confess that we need your help desperately, Lord. Please forgive us for the ways we have failed to love our neighbors. Please forgive us for the ways we have been quick to assume and to cast motives upon people. Lord, forgive us for the ways we so easily exalt ourselves and our opinion over that of other people. Oh Lord, would you show us your kindness tonight? Would you show us your patience tonight, Lord, that we might be kind and patient to those around us? Father, you have used your people throughout history to transform the world through acts of kindness, through patience. Lord, how desperately our world needs that now. Father, please heal us and send us that we might love in your name. Amen.